This presentation is from UX Australia 2019, Sydney. Our next speakers on stage are Sam and Zoe, um, who will be uh, picking up, I think, on some of those themes with their talk on respectful curiosity. Please join me in welcoming Sam and Zoe to the stage. Um, hello, I'm Zoe, and this is Sam. Um, to begin with, I'd like to um, acknowledge the country that we're on today, the um, Gadigal, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, um, and I'd like to acknowledge the present, past, and future elders um, on this land that we're going to gather today and talk about all of these really incredible things. It's a real privilege to be able to be here. Um, the first thing I really want to say is we are not experts in other people's lives. We are not here to tell all of their stories, to really relive them for them. We are here to share our experiences of what it's been like working with people who have different needs. Um, and that's really what we are here today. Sam can definitely testify to this. I've been freaking out all morning about this as well and probably for the last couple of months since I found out, am I the right person to be up here? Um, and everyone who has been telling me that kept saying, you're just sharing your experience. So really that is what I'm here to do today, as with Sam. Yeah, and I think we wanted to start by asking you guys to stand up. And because I said before, I'm so cold, so stand up. <laughs> And I want you to sit down, so sit down if you don't know a person with disability. If you've never met one, if you've never spoken to one. So if you don't know a person with disability, sit down. And now everyone turn around and look. It's everyone. It's everyone, <laughs> literally. No one is, oh, I can't see anyone sitting. No one is sitting, <laughs> sit down. We all, like people with disability, are everywhere, they're in our lives, they're in our work lives, our personal lives, or the lives of people that we know. So I think people trip themselves up all the time thinking about inclusive design when it's life. It's the life that we're living. People with disability are not an add-on, they're not an extra, they are part of your life now. So I think we need to start by sort of taking a deep breath and recognising that before we crack into what is really just a series of tips and hints and some pretty funny stories about when we got it really wrong. Really, really wrong. <laughs> I'm going to be pretty honest today. Um, so a little of introduction to who we are, Sam. I'm going to start with confession. I am not a designer at all. Hey. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm an occupational therapist by trade. Um, I stumbled into the design space but first I stumbled into the disability space. So my background is a clinical background. I've worked in the disability sector for 20 years um, and my career evolved into the UX sort of innovation space around disability and I now run Northcott Innovation. So we're a small disability focused innovation company um, that works alongside people with disability to find innovative solutions to the problems that they identify. But I'm not a designer. <laughs> I would probably say that I am not a designer either. I just work at Meld Studios and we work with lots of different people doing lots of different things. Um, so I've been with Meld for about two and a half years now and I've gotten to work on a lot of transport projects, a lot of government projects, um, some private corporations, small, big, and I love the different experiences and stories that I get to gather and then share back. And during that time, I've um, done some, not a lot, 
I'm not saying a lot at all, research with people who have different needs, especially in the transport space. And I learned a lot from doing it. I made a lot of mistakes as well, and they were the best learnings that I ever had. Um, we want to start by talking about, so who are we actually building inclusion for and how are we doing that respectively? Um, we're designing for everyone, which is kind of hard, I know, but really we're talking about all. When we say all, we really mean all. So if we think about the population in terms of that sort of bell curve and every single population group you can map out on some sort of bell curve, you know, people, hair length, you know, height, everything goes in a bell curve. And when we say all, we mean the really people at the pointy, pointy ends as well. So even though that's more of a challenge, all means all. Am I meant to be talking about this? So, one of the things, <laughs> I've forgotten who's meant to be talking about. Whatever, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Um, so, for those of you who don't know Heather Simmons, she talks about the 12 values of inclusion. And they're sort of principles of how you could approach anything, be it your everyday life, be it your workplace. And the 12 values are, are really amazing and equally overwhelming. <laughs> So even though I've spent my entire career in the disability sector, I still read those 12 values and go, oh, God, Sam, like, are you really living up to this? <laughs> like, it's, it's hard because when you think about it, everyone is born in, like when we, the speakers that were just before us, when we have marginalised communities, are people born in? Or is that because, you know, we've put a barrier to them being included in that context? So in this today... I wanted to sort of highlight these four ones. So people with disability are born in. We all said we all know one or we work with one or we're related to one or we're friends with one. People with disability, they're in already. So we shouldn't have to include them, they're in. And all means all. So that's that same irrespective of what someone's support needs are or their circumstances are or their lived experiences are and irrespective of where they are on that bell curve, they should also be included in whatever it is that you're doing. Everyone needs support. So this is a really interesting one. So if we think about our day-to-day -day lives, everybody needs support to do different things. So if I think about my day-to-day -day life, I have two small children. My six-year-old needs an insane amount of support to put his school uniform on. <laughs> <laughs> The number of times I circle back around, put your shirt on, I go and make some breakfast, put your shirt on, back, would you just put your shirt like, so I'm so repetitive every single morning. He needs support to just get dressed. And he doesn't have additional needs, he's just a six-year-old. If I think about co-workers, no, let's not talk about co-workers. <laughs> I have a co-worker in the room, so that's not appropriate. So if you think about, say, like a university lecture, right? I'm gonna call the person question girl, the one that just keeps putting their hand up and they ask the question that really just rephrases the last sentence the lecturer said and you're like, would you just stop with the questions? That person needs to keep asking those questions because that's the kind of support they need to understand that topic. There might be someone else in this room who can hear, can anyone else hear that the air conditioner is super loud, <laughs> right? Super loud. I'm like, don't, anyway. So there might be people in this room who, for them, they might need additional support to tune out that air conditioner that is 
deceptively loud, and to concentrate on what's happening in this room. So everybody needs support. It doesn't have to look like a support worker, a white cane, a hearing aid. And I think that's a good tip to remember. And everyone can contribute. So irrespective of how you communicate, how you present, what you look like, everyone has a right to pitch in and give their contribution. And the effort, I suppose, of that contribution, the effort sits with us. So it's our job to make sure they can contribute. They have the skills and capacity to pitch in with whatever the activity is or the insight or the interview or the workshop. It's our job to remove those barriers so that they can contribute. They have the skills, we just need to create the space for them to do that. Absolutely. I, I think the all Definitely, Sam introduced me to these principles as well, and they're actually quite difficult to find online. There's really just one video of Heather talking them through on a whiteboard, but they just resonated so much. And it reminded me of uh, the author of this book called The Misfit Economy, who talks about speaking to people in very diverse backgrounds and jobs. So an example is a Sudanese pirate. She had a conversation with this guy, and she was standing there next to someone who she just disagreed with fully. Everything that person had done, she, she didn't understand. How could you kill all of these people? Why are you so, um, just the way that you are. But they were talking about the love of their children or the love of their family. She's like, well, that is all. I, I can be, you know, I might not fully agree with you, but we can still, be one, we can still be human together. And I, I really love what that means in these values of inclusion. Um, I wanted to put this up as well before we go through, just so we can kind of have a look at, well, what does all mean and how does that impact on, you know, our inclusive spectrums and how we get around the world and that it's not just about people who are in a wheelchair or do have uh, a guide dog or are vision impaired. These started off as Microsoft inclusive spectrums um, and in a transport project, a colleague of mine took them, found them, and we weren't able to have anyone with a disability in the room to have their voice put across and we had a bunch of stakeholders and executives. We wanted them to think about the people that they've never thought about before and helping them to build empathy. We tweaked them a little bit. Sam and Northcott Innovation have helped us tweak them again. And we kind of have built on these to bring them back into the experience land rather than just in digital. So I want you to think about these spectrums. On, this, on the same experience around communication, you know, the, the exercise that we did before about closing our eyes, being another country and not speaking the language, maybe it's about having an accent, not understanding the language around. But equally, it could be, I have laryngitis, and these are more situational types of, of having a need or needing support. Um, maybe I have a stutter, or maybe I'm nonverbal, and I, I communicate through other means. Maybe I'm a wheelchair user, or maybe I have luggage and a pram. Both, I, I need different ways of getting around spaces, and I need different supports, and again, some are situational, some are more permanent, some are temporary, but we, we can start to almost em, embody, or just bring it back home a little bit if we've not met someone or understand that experience. Another example is, I can't see, I have conjunctivitis, I'm blind or I'm, I have low vision. 
Oops, it is, is. there we go. Uh, or I'm on the train, I'm listening to some really loud, bad music. I can't hear, or I might be deaf as well. You know, there's lots of different ways that people can have uh, different impairments at different times. And yes, some are more permanent, but some are in a moment or temporary. And I think as, as the talk before was talking about, everyone can be vulnerable at some stage. No, this is just showing this. And you know what? Look, look what happens when we do design for all. I think this might have been an accident with the quiet hour for Coles, but people really love going to Coles during quiet hour. It's quieter, it's not as stressful, they're not playing that bad music, the beep on the cash registers are lower, the lights are lower, it's not as gary, and it actually works for more and more and more people. Think about it as a train station. Having built-in redundancy into built environment is so important, not just in case one lift is out and someone can't get down or up off the train station, but it gives options for people who, you know, might have to have prams or luggage and taking the ramp versus a, a, the stairs versus the escalator. So as designers and just people, like why do we need to build inclusive experiences? Um, we have a responsibility as designers. We, we do make stuff that goes into this world and we have that responsibility to make sure that we facilitate, we include, we build with, we don't do for and we definitely don't do at. But let's just have a look at some of the, the risks if we don't get it right. It means that basic needs are not met, just full stop. This is a really short clip of um, an experience I had of a woman who was pushing, um, who was going through a train station. Um, she was showing us what a daily experience on the train would be like. You can see me hovering behind really awkwardly, not knowing when to stand in. Basically what had happened is we were going to catch the train. She tapped on her Opal card, we went into the elevator, she tapped on all of the buttons. Um, she does have trouble tapping the buttons, but it takes a little bit more time, but she's completely able to do all of those things. We got down onto the platform, the guard wasn't there. We went all the way around the platform looking for the guard. The train was coming in a couple of minutes, we're waiting, we need to get this. Okay, so the guard must be upstairs. We go back to the lift, the angle of the lift where the button was and her chair meant that she actually could not reach that button. That tiny touch point meant that she was then kind of, she was captured downstairs. There was no one there to help her. There was no one else on the platform except myself. And so I had to push that button for her. Otherwise she would have had to wait for the guard to come down who might've been on a lunch break for all we knew. So if we don't get the really tiny touch points right, you know, Basic needs are just not met. People might not say, feel safe moving around the world that they are in. We design for ourselves and then we forget others. This is a video of a um, soap dispenser um, in the US that was not responding to darker skin. So you can see him now putting a serviette under, it goes completely fine, he puts his hand under and it doesn't respond. This is an easy fix. If you don't know how infrared works, it's basically just bouncing light back to tell it what to do. What's happened? The engineer's white, used it on himself. Hey, it's cool, everyone must, must be able to use this. 
We design for non-existent norms. We design people out and we create um, instances where they are unseen and unseen communities like hostile design and hostile architecture. And we embed biases, and this is becoming more and more prevalent, we embed biases and assumptions into machines that are expected to make human decisions. This is a book called Automating Inequality that a colleague put me onto recently, Virginia Eubanks. It's unbelievable. She talks about the Allegheny Family Screening Tool. As a very high overbrief, uh, a tool started in New Zealand, now in America, in a county there. Um, it basically takes a number of data points. And the idea of it, it is, is it can predict what families are at risk of domestic violence, family violence, child abuse. This quote is from the county clerk. You feed shit in, you, feed, you get shit out, right? If we give the wrong data to these computers, they are going to predict completely wrong. We might miss people who actually need help. It's a really, really scary thing when we think about how much AI and machine learning is coming into our world. And you know what? Life is just harder than it really needs to be. This is, this is the woman again who can't touch the emergency point when she's stuck on the station. And, and um, one of our colleagues, she took this photo yesterday at the Hilton about getting the tea. It's right at the back of the table. She couldn't even see the tea. The tables are quite high up. How is someone who is short statured or in a wheelchair going to be able to get those? So, assumptions. Let's bust them. She's going to bust them out. <laughs> we all come with biases. We all come with assumptions. They're built into us. We are human. We love them. It's great. It's OK. But we need to be able to, one, acknowledge them, and two, reframe them. How do we check them before we go into research? So we thought, I mean, we like talking. Yeah, that's okay. Um, but rather than us rabbit on about assumptions, we went to people that we work with. So we asked colleagues, um, and at my work, so I asked people um, that access some of the disability services um, near where I work as well. So there's a mix of colleagues um, and people who access disability services, and they're going to talk about a couple of assumptions in a couple of series of videos. But this first set is around Assumptions based on how people look. Is that the yeah. first set? Yes. yes. So assumptions people make based on the way that I look. And I think we all know what that feels like anyway. We, I definitely, if I'm having one of my super anxious days, I'm like, oh my god, is my hair out of place? Is that why everyone's looking at me? I must have something on my shirt. You know, we, we just assume that people are making these assumptions. But, you know, for someone who is, um, has different needs, what assumptions are people making about them? Mm. But we don't need to tell it. They're going to tell their own stories. So this is Savinch, she's a co-worker of ours. Assumptions that people make about you. Oh. I can't hear Can you put it up, please? That I am deaf and therefore they need to yell at me for me to understand them. 
So for those of you that didn't pick it, obviously Savinch is nonverbal. Um, she's using her eye gaze to spell. So she looks at that on her, what's like an iPad, it's not an iPad. Um, so she looks at it, uses her eye gaze to spell out letters. There's predictive text. She then selects the text and then selects the speak button. Um, and she's one of our co-workers. So she's given us her first assumption. We've got someone next, don't we? This is Shirley, another co-worker. I find many people with a disability have to deal with lots of assumptions. For example, I go to the gym each week and people will speak to my support worker rather than to me and say good job. Even on the bus, sometimes the drivers do that too. Especially when I'm in my electric wheelchair. Good job driving. I do get frustrated when I'm not spoken to directly. The most important thing to remember is to treat people as equals and not to make assumptions that they are incapable of communicating. So I think an interesting thing, not interesting, it's actually a little bit sad, that Shirley pointed out is like, no one thanks me or praises me for walking. It's just something I do. Why are people praising Shirley for her mobilisation? Sometimes she walks, sometimes she uses a chair. That's great for her. Shouldn't congratulate her on that, just like you shouldn't congratulate me on walking or talking or working. Um, Shirley in particular is a particularly talented you know, co-worker. She has a business degree, she has a commerce degree, and the assumptions people make about her intelligence or about her capabilities as an employee based on the fact that she's nonverbal um, and she either uses her iPad or we can see a very, actually a very clever still shot um, of her low-tech communication device. So what, how she uses that. So she points with her finger and the person that she's communicating with will read out the words to form the sentences to then form the uh, communication message. Who have we got next? Marina. Vaughan and Marina. So Vaughan and Marina um, are two people who... Oh, um, I've had people stare at me in the shopping centre when we're walking around. They don't realise you can... I can still see. And they're coming up to me like, hello? Can you see it? I'm like, yeah, I can still see. So here, obviously, so Vaughan and Marina um, are a married couple, just like me and my partner, just like half of you and your partners, I assume. Um, they also access a supported living service. So they live independently in their own three-bedroom apartment, but they have 24-hour care in order to live independently um, due to their physical and intellectual disabilities. They are going to feature a bit later as they well. Are. We'll um, give a little bit more backstory then. Yeah, about their, it's like the romance of their story. The romance. <laughs> but later. And I think we've got a more, I'm going to say, polished video clip coming up next. Yes. Done by a proper TV series, not us with our <laughs> iPhones. So um, we wanted to bring in this short clip of uh, You Can't Ask That from the ABC. Uh, this is one of their recent, if you've not seen the series before. Watch it. Amazing. It's great. Amazing. Um, all the questions you want to know but you think that you can't ask. So let's have a quick watch of this. Do people treat you like you're stupid? A lot, a lot of people treat 
I am stupid. I don't personally don't feel that just due to my circumstances does anyone treat me stupid. It's only by my actions am I treated stupid and that's deserved. Even people think deaf people stupid. But harder way deaf people think hearing people stupid. Now because I communicate well, I don't experience that so often. But I definitely struggled with that a lot in school. Like my teachers would be the ones who would assume my intelligence was really low. I get more pulling. Uh, I believe hanging. Most of the time I don't walk out the door because of that. But I still go into door because I know that pulled it for me. But I don't feel that sometimes. Clearly some technical issues with this video playing. Very sorry. Uh, right now he's talking about going to work. Um, and time, he went to a job interview and people were like, oh, you're fine. Because my hearing people don't know how to die and um, people don't enter my voice. I should have to accept that. So now he's talking about a job interview that he went to. I, I can't read sign language. I've watched this video before, by the way. Um, so he's talking about a job interview he went to. He doesn't put down that he's deaf. Uh, he went to the interview and they're like, work? You're deaf? And he's like, I'm, I'm physically fine. I can work. And they don't know what to do. They panic. His mate is now talking about the same, that he couldn't get any jobs, even as a labourer or a bricklayer. So he started his own business and it's called Get Fenced. Um, and he just started doing it himself because no one would give him that chance. Bullying. And the last guy there was saying that just treat us as equals, basically. Sorry about that. I hope you enjoyed the over speech though. <laughs> Weird. We have another cluster of videos as well and this time we've grouped them around assumptions people make about my decisions and my desires. Um, they assume that I can't do that or I shouldn't do that um, and make decisions for me yeah. occasionally. And we've got a cluster of people talking about what that looks like. So the first um, one that we have is Vaughan and Marina again. And was quite negative a bit about what we wanted what we needed and um, they're unsure if we can achieve it. And they, they seem to, they seem to be blaming uh, us a little bit. Oh, they can't do this, they can't. The most of the feet. So to piggyback off their people baby them and assume they can't do things, Vaughn and Marina got married a couple of years ago and I wanted to show you this article because it says that the, the community kicks in for cerebral palsy wedding. 
they are just two adults getting married because they are childhood sweethearts. So they, their, their actual story is they've been in love since they were kids and absolutely they fundraised as two people who live on the disability pension, they fundraised their wedding and that's pretty clever, but they are not a cerebral palsy wedding duo. They are just two adults in love getting married. And then there's something else in that. Where's the other bit? There's one, the second one is the picture. The, their, oh, that's right. The their, their worker picture. is front and center. So if I was gonna get married and I was gonna marry Zoe, cause now it's legal. <laughs> we, the media would portray us like this. There would be no third person in the middle unless that's what we were doing and that would be okay too. <laughs> but for Vaughan and Marina, there's just two people in that duo, but our system has put their disability support worker in the middle and literally holding their hands. And when you go on to read the article, the article, the, the long, long article, don't Google it, it's actually a bit heartbreaking. Yeah. The, isn't in its disgustingness. The whole article, it has quotes from the CEO of the organisation that they receive disability support services from. If I married Zoe, you know, my manager shouldn't be quoted in an article <laughs> about me marrying Zoe. So why are they quoting a CEO about Vaughan and Marina's marriage? They're just two people in love. So I think there's that kind of society has assumed so much stuff about them and then portrayed it in so many different ways that it starts to skew everyone's internal biases. There's another phrase right up the top. Um, Vaughan is a pretty resilient young man. Probably just a young man, right? Like resilient, is that necessary? Um, and then in the second paragraph down, um, they're confined to wheelchairs. This being bound to, this being I can't get out of, it's, it's not about the wheelchair, it's about Vaughan and Marina. And this wasn't written in the 1960s. <laughs> like this is only a couple of years ago. Yeah. Anyway, moving on before I moving get too on. cross about it. <laughs> I've already had my rant about it this morning. <laughs> uh, this is Shirley. Although I have a physical disability, I feel that I have achieved a great deal in my life and nothing seems to stop me. I like to challenge myself. I'm fortunate to have a wonderful supportive circle of family, friends and support workers. Some of my achievements are having a few paid jobs and presenting in Auckland last year at the Cerebral Palsy Conference. I have also been practicing using my hands to throw the ball instead of using the ramp when I go to bowling. I have also been practicing my speaking using my voice, which is a challenge. What I would like to achieve is to get the children who I work with at Only About Children Child Care Center to understand when I speak with my voice, which will take some time. I have a physical disability and need assistance, but that doesn't stop me from having a full and active life. The most important thing to remember is to treat people as equals and not to make assumptions that they are incapable of communicating. You know what I'm saying? Oh. Oh. Ew. 
good. That's really good. I'm great. We're doing pretty well. Having a good day. How are you? Next one up is uh, Mo, who we haven't seen yet. So Mo um, accesses an independent living skills program. Um, so he's getting support a couple of days a week to develop his ability to live independently in the community. He's also a fierce sex and disability advocate. So I, I, I made the appointment, everything went wrong, and then I went to the clinic. Oh, and, sorry, and sexual and health I clinic. Said, <laughs> and, 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 and I said, I, I want to do the test. You know, to see if everything's okay. So they gave me this specimen jar, and so I said to the doctor, I said, I can't do it in there because I'm, a, because I'm in a wheelchair. And and he said, but he said, that's all we have. I said, and then I said, and then I said to him, I said, do you assume just because people in wheelchairs that they don't want to have a sexual intercourse? And he, he looked at me be funny, and, and then he said, but that, that, that's all we got. So Mo goes on to say, we haven't recorded, we, well, we haven't put it in today, but Mo goes on to say that that interaction went on for like an uncomfortable amount of time, backwards, forwards, backwards, forwards, and in the end, the doctor gave him an ice cream bucket, as if that's any more helpful, um, and then just kind of washed his hands of the situation and, and said, oh, well, like, kind of, you know, we don't really need the test anyway. So even though Mo is a sexually active young man, he's doing the right thing by his partners. He's going to get his, you know, sexual health checks done. That entire clinic experience has meant that, A, he didn't get his checks done. He felt absolutely, like, dehumanised, embarrassed, and all because a doctor couldn't think of another way that he could give a specimen to do the tests. This is our last one, and this is Vaughan and Marina again. And this was quite negative a bit about what we want and what we need, and um, the answer if we can achieve it. And they, they seem to they seem to be blaming us maybe they can't do this they can't do most of the things I think well I can do most of the things if we put our minds to it we can do anything So we, as I said at the beginning, were conscious. We didn't want to speak on behalf of people, which is why we've spent a good chunk of our time letting them talk for themselves. We weren't, be able to, we weren't able to bring them here. But we want to wrap up, and I'm conscious of time, but um, we want to wrap up by talking about some mistakes and kind of fuck-ups that we've made along the way and the lessons that we learn out of that because... Failures are actually just learnings disguised, right? And we all need to remind ourselves of that. I once pulled a chair out on a blind woman as she was trying to sit down. Whoops. Um, 
I was just trying to be hospitable and my gut reaction for anyone would just be to adjust the chair. And she's like, oh, I don't need that. And I'm like, of course you don't, you need to find the chair. Completely fine, I acknowledged it. She was like, this is what I need, this is not what I need. Um, some other, I kind of crowdsourced some examples from MELD of times that we've worked with different people and um, scheduling and interviews uh, really early in the morning for people, youth who have mental disabilities. They don't turn up generally. Um, scheduling them later in the day definitely works. Um, and also, um, there's been a couple. Sam? Do you want me to dive in? Yes, so please. we were organising workshops for a whole group of diverse people, people with disability, food in the venue. Are you accessible? Yes, yes, yes. Do you have a lift? Yes, yes, yes. I didn't say, do you have a lift that a person can go in? Because when we turned up, it was a goods lift. So we asked people to get in a goods lift in their chairs. For people who are quite tall, it was a bit of a squeeze. So that was a bit of a mistake. We've also done testing. We're building an app for people with vision impairment. We were doing user testing. Uh, we had a great pre-conversation with one of the users of the app or the testers. She was really explicit. We'd mapped out what support she did and didn't want. We weren't to touch her. We went to an environment where she was really familiar. So she would know where she was going. We weren't getting very hands off. We'd laid the parameters. That was all great. Moving through, the app's not really going as we'd planned. We're still moving through the environment. She's getting frustrated with the app. I'm getting nervous that the app isn't working. And then I see a massive pot plant. And in the sheer panic of thinking, oh my God, there's a pot plant. But she said she didn't want me to help. She tripped over it, fallen onto the ground and injured herself. And my job is disability innovation inclusion, and I just stood there while she ploughed into a pot plant and fell onto the ground because I was so caught up in thinking, but she said, don't help. She said, don't intervene. She said, hands off, that I just had a bit of a brain conniption on the yeah. ground. Oops. And th these things, we can't be afraid to stumble into them. Um, our learnings, and someone once told me this, is you're going to be clumsy in different situations that you're unfamiliar with if you're nervous, but as long as you are respectful and you are curious, that is what matters. Being, asking someone, you know, is that okay? How, how should I rephrase this? What can I do? What do you need? How can I help? Those are the questions you need to be asking, which lead us to, very quickly, our top take-home tools. Um, out of these, I think the best thing that everyone in the room could do is actually go to the disability etiquette information, and it's on the Australian Network of Disability. It's actually just a rundown of what we're going to really quickly go through. Um, but the first thing is about asking. Just ask the question. You know, it might be uncomfortable for you, but it's better than falling into a situation where you've offended someone or you've done the wrong thing. Um, this is around research, ask what they need in advance. Um, how, how is this best? Where should we do this? Don't make assumptions. The next one is just acknowledge. Making sure that you acknowledge their support or, or their, their contribution um, to the research, making sure that they're involved in the research. Paid for their research. Paid for the research. All of the videos here, bar the ABC one, were paid. Uh, either that was an incentive given for their time or they're paid, paid by Northcott because they are staff. 
Um, the next one is value and budget. Uh, a lot of the time, it's not budgeted in. It can be more expensive to include people with different abilities. Um, so your budget might need to expand. That shouldn't be a reason why you don't do it, though. So be conscious of that when setting budgets. And genuinely, when you set your project budget, I recommend you have accessibility, inclusion, use whatever word you like as its own line item, because I challenge any project owner to turn around and say, oh no, we can't afford that. If you explicitly state, this is for translators, this is for the braille transcription, this is for the closed captioning, this is for the accessible venue, they have to say yes. So put it in the budgets Be from explicit. the beginning. Be explicit. Totally. Allow time. So inclusive design takes longer. So when you would have seen the clips of Shirley um, and Sev, we've obviously consolidated that down because we didn't have very long to talk. Their communication takes time. For Vaughan and Marina, their communication as well takes time and there's gaps and pauses while everybody thinks and processes. So you need to make sure you've got enough time for people to interact in whatever your process is, to take a break, to come back, to maybe repeat it, to go back a topic and touch on that again. It all takes time and you need to factor that into your project plan because it becomes very quickly disrespectful to rush people through it. So plan for it, put it in. Support and autonomy. We were going to talk about remembering that not all people with disability have supports. You don't always have to include someone's carer, someone's parent, someone's de facto. Some people, you could just ask them and they could participate freely. For other people, they have a support network and it's really important that you include that support network. So it's important you ask the parent, the carer, the unpaid carer, the paid carer. So be really, I suppose, conscious of who that individual is, who's around them, and is it appropriate or is it not appropriate to include that circle? Also recognising that there's a difference between independence and autonomy. So for Vaughan and Marina, due to the, like, the degree of their physical disability, they are not very independent. They need someone, a support worker, to support them with most daily activities. Independence for them is not the same as autonomy. They can make their own decisions. Just because they need someone to help them get dressed doesn't mean they can't decide things about their life as a married couple. And reimagining the artefacts and activities. Yeah. So when we all turned up to the conference, we were given that cool little pencil case with the fancy texts and the post-it notes. If I couldn't write, so if I was, you know, some of my co-workers, what good is that goodie bag to me? If I can't hold that pen, what's the point? What's the point of turning up to a design workshop if you can't see the post-it notes? Or if you can't voice your opinion or because the frantic post-it knowing and the drawing of the people, but they kind of look like safety cones because I'm not a designer and I don't understand. So if that's all unfolding and you can't see that happen, or it's happening at such a rapid pace that you're not given the opportunity to process that, or the words that are being used are not plain and simple enough for you to understand that, and maybe they didn't give an easy English guide for you to follow, we, we need to change how we do things. We can't just revert back to post-it notes, textures, and touchscreens. Have to rethink it. Thank you for your time today. Oh.